large offering. He was coming to give alms, and he was coming to the temple, and basically he was met once again as kind of the story of Paul's life with a very hostile situation. And we find him actually being drugged from the temple, and it, it actually plainly says that he was being drugged, and immediately, this is in verse, um, I'm sorry, let me back up, verse 30 of 21, it says, and immediately the doors of the temple were shut. And it was really, this is really speaking of the, the Jewish people rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, which we find happened over and over and over again. So then when we move on to chapter 22, he's now giving an account of his conversion. He's been brought before the authorities, and it's actually a wonderful thing if we had more time today. This just really kind of gives you the recap of the story that all of you know as far as when he was on the road to Damascus, and as far as being struck blind, and his encounter, and his revelation of Jesus, all of those things. So he actually gives an account of his salvation experience there. Um, and basically, if you skip down to Acts 23, 11, I love it, he's basically this whole time giving an account. And then it goes on in, in verse 11 of 23 and says, but, but the following night the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. And basically, now what we actually find is he's sent to Felix, and he ends up kind of giving his account before Felix, and he, he basically get, kind of just gets shuffled around, giving his account over and over again. And what, really what we find is all of them kind of look at each other going, we're not finding anything wor worthy of this man dying. There, there's nothing that can prove that he's guilty and worthy of death. Um, so then if you jump down um, to... Chapter 23, verse 12, this is actually where we find that the Jews formed a conspiracy that they would neither eat nor drink until, and it, you find out later on in this chapter, their, their vow wasn't necessarily that someone would kill Paul, but that they would kill Paul. So there was a conspiracy, and I, I, they actually guesstimate that it's about 40 men that had made this vow in their heart. of not. It's kind of like what we would consider a fast. Of until we see this take place, I'm not eating or drinking. So we find this conspiracy against Paul's life, and then he's sent to um, to Felix in Caesarea, and he's that's um, chapter 23, verse 23. We find him um, testifying. He's accused. It goes on. Then he's brought before in verse 20, 25. He's brought before Caesar, brought before Agrippa, and then again we find Paul testifying of his life, giving an account of his salvation. And again, over and over and over again, nobody can find all, uh, uh, fault. King Agrippa actually says in 26 verse 8, this is what he said, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. That's actually what he says. Is He's basically trying this man because over and over, they're wanting to charge him so that he's put to death. And instead, King Agrippa is saying, I can't put him to death. I almost want to become a Christian hearing this man's testimony. I mean, it's, it's really extraordinary. So then from here in um, verse 27, you actually find that he's sent to Rome, which was, this was the word of the Lord. Remind you that when the Lord stood before him that night, he said, you'll go to Rome and you'll give testimony of me there. So we actually find in verse 27 that he is sent to Rome. They are shipwrecked on the way there in Malta. How many of you guys know this story of they kindle a fire, a snake comes out of the fire, the snake bites Paul. At that time, basically, they're like, oh, he must be a murderer, because now even after shipwreck, the snake is out to kill him, he's going to die. Well, then, not only does he not die, but he goes on to heal people. Like, he goes on with a healing anointing. And, then it's, and mind you, all of this time, he's a prisoner. He's someone that has guards surrounding him. He is considered a prisoner being watched. 
he's imprisoned. That's really what he is, and he's on his journey to Rome. So after they leave Malta, they actually arrive in Rome, and he arrives as a prisoner in Rome. And we actually find that he remains in Rome for two years. It says that a house that he rented, it was guarded by a guard. He was a prisoner. He was banished to Rome. And pretty much that's where he stayed. And the extraordinary thing is it actually talks about that whoever would come to his home, he would give testimony of Jesus Christ. And he's found preaching the gospel. One of the most extraordinary things that I find, I mean, this has been a journey through the book of Acts. Like anybody that's been here consistently knows it verse by verse, chapter by chapter, the accounts, the hardship, the difficulty, all of those things. But what's extraordinary to me is that the end of Paul's life, When you really weigh what this man went through, what he walked through, and even, I'll actually just read to you guys this last statement that he's making. Um, Because once again, we actually find that he's giving testimony of Jesus Christ. And in verse 24, it says, And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. So when they did not agree amongst them, they departed after, after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through, through Isaiah, the prophet, to our fathers. This is verse 26. Go to the people and, and say, hearing you, sorry, hearing you will hear but not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their, their eyes they have closed. Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts in turn, so that I should heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of, the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed in a great dispute amongst them. Then Paul dwelt two years in his own rented house and received all who came to him preaching the kingdom of God, and preaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. The extraordinary thing, I mean, it's kind of, I don't know if it's just me, but after studying so closely the, the story of Paul's life, there's really two things that really struck me coming to the end of it, is that ultimately, if he was to define the success of his life by the fruit, or even by the outward manifestation I I guarantee this man would have ceased preaching the gospel. Because if his hope and his confidence and even his obedience to preach the gospel was based upon the results, he would have grown extremely downhearted and discouraged. But we actually find that in the latter years of his life, regardless of what is done against him, he's imprisoned. I mean, most of us, let's just be honest, none of us are imprisoned physically, none of us are being held by the law, none of us are being punished for crimes that we've never committed, any of those things, but there's some of us that actually feel imprisoned in areas of our life. We feel pretty trapped, hemmed in, like we don't have choices, you know, all of those kind of things that there's areas where we think, I feel like I'm a prisoner, I feel like I can't get out of this situation, or I'm stuck in this works environment, or all of those things of things that hem us in, that make us feel like we're without choices, that we're, and the extraordinary thing is we find Paul, who's a literal prisoner, a literal prisoner, not figuratively, not emotionally, not mentally, um, you know, I'm in an emotional prison, a mental prison. He's in a phys- he's physically being guarded day and night. He's physically had restrictions. He is not free to fulfill his call. He can't go where he wants. He can't do what he wants. He has no choices of himself. He has been confined to a physical space. He has every excuse under the sun why not to preach the gospel. 
Even in his mind, he could rationalize that he preached the gospel and that what the Lord promised him was not accomplished. He could stand back and even judge the fruit or the effectiveness of the gospel based upon what his eyes witnessed and what he saw. But yet, Paul lived with a completely different reality. And this is what I believe. I believe, and I'm going to show you through scripture as far as certain places where it testifies of Paul. I believe Paul defined his life by his obedience, not by the results. He defined his life by being obedient to the call of God, no matter what it looks like. See, if you're going to be governed by, by the results of things, it's going to dictate what you do. Because when you don't get the right results, you're going to stop doing it. Or if you do get the right results, and that could even be results like the praise of man, it's going to lead you further down. I'm going to be honest with you. If we live and govern our lives by anything other than radical obedience to the man Christ Jesus, we will live our lives in bondage. We'll live our lives in bondage to seeing results, to defining success, to getting someone else's approval. We'll live our life according to what we can accomplish and all of those things. But I bet you that Paul lived as the most satisfied, fulfilled man, but yet he was imprisoned. He was in physical confounds of a physical house, but yet he never ceased to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are so many lesser situations that we face. So many lesser situations that cause us to doubt the gospel, doubt the power of the gospel, doubt our call, doubt the effectiveness, all of those things that we go through. But yet here you have Paul, who everything is stacked up against him, and it says that he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to all with confidence. That wasn't a timid uh, it's a lowly, powerless, ineffective, I'm not sure about it. I, this is what I believe, but you may not. You know, it was the confidence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. With conviction and with power. This is even when he saw people rise up against him because of it. He stood unwavering. And this is what I believe. I believe he had the understanding of his life would be weighed according to his obedience. And when you live with that conviction and with that clarity, there is no wavering in you emotionally. Your high calling is obedience to the divine will of God. And if you are living in obedience to the divine will of God, it does not matter what any outward circumstance looks like. If you are living with the peace and the contentment, of being in obedience to the divine will of God, you could be in any kind of outward circumstance of difficulty, and it is not going to rob you of your peace. Amen. But the contrary is also true. That if we're not living from that place of obedience to the divine will of God, and that's what our, our highest aim and our highest pursuit, when we're li living like a weed or a, a, a wheat in the wind, and we are being shifted to and fro by every circumstance, you will never be able to find peace until you come to that place of saying, it's only in obedience to Jesus Christ, no matter what that may look like. And this is actually what we find in Paul's life is, number one, that the success of his life was defined by obedience. I mean, if nothing else, I, I don't care if we're 25 or 2,500 people in a community. I honestly would prefer to be a community of 25 people that go after a hundredfold obedience Amen. than a community of 
2,000, 3,000 people, and that there is no understanding of what it is to live in abandonment to Jesus Christ. But the place of freedom and liberty that when we pursue wholehearted obedience. (coughs) Number two, how many of you guys actually know, there's a very familiar passage of scripture, I'm sure that you've all read. It's in Romans 1, and it's verse 1 through 5. And it's actually where Paul, he, he declares of himself, Paul, I, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I mean, it wasn't, I, Paul, preacher of the gospel. You know, I, Paul, the apostle. <laughs> I mean, all the titles he could have claimed for himself, of who he was, of what he, his declaration is a bondservant of Jesus Christ. That's actually what he made boast in. But it speaks of this place of obedience. That he was not living to fulfill his own will. He was living. That's what a servant is. A servant is living to fulfill the will of another individual. See, I honestly believe that us as a younger generation, we've been hugely robbed of the purity of the gospel in the context of understanding that there is liberty in the place of obedience. See, we've been sold such a, your Christianity, it's about, you know, and I don't want to quote any book titles. <laughs> you got to stay away from that. Uh, <laughs> I'm working hard because they come to mind. <laughs> but anyway, just about the pursuit of your happiness. And that you're going to become more happy, more attractive, better car. You're going to succeed in life because of Jesus. And that's the problem when somehow we think that it's about us acquiring more, attaining more, becoming more. All of those things. We the understanding of Christianity. We lose sight of the man Christ Jesus. It no longer becomes about him and abandonment and obedience. It becomes about us and about what we can be and become. And honestly, we begin, instead of viewing ourselves as a bondservant to Jesus Christ, we view Jesus as a bondservant to us. How can you serve my needs? How can you serve my ministry? How can you serve my calling? How can you make me successful? How are you going to endorse me? How are you going to bless me? How are you going to prosper me? But how about the greatest prosperity of your soul comes when you find your identity in being a bondservant of Jesus Christ? That whatever he gives and whatever he takes away, that whatever he adds or whatever he subtracts, You are living as a bondservant of Jesus Christ, and that is where you find the greatest joy, the greatest peace, the greatest contentment, where you are satisfied and fulfilled. I, Paul. You know, he could have said, I, Paul, who birthed the New Testament church. I, Paul. I mean, the guy had accolades like like none of us. (laughs) Or no one, I mean, in, in the modern mission or Christian movement. But his testimony was, I, Paul, a bondservant. I, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. It wasn't his equation for success. It was his love for a man. It was his abandonment to a man. Even him being banished to that house, that's, I would rather live with nothing else. I would rather lose all in life and have Jesus than to gain the whole world and lose my own soul. That, that's Paul's testimony. So he says in Romans 1, uh, verse 1 through 5, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel uh, of God, which he promised before 
before through his prophets in the Holy Scripture, verse 3, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. Mm -hmm. By the resurrection from the dead, through him we have received grace and apostleship. And what was it for? It was for obedience to the faith. This is where Paul is trumpeting obedience, which I absolutely love it. And then as you guys are well aware, because when we were going through the, the book of Acts, there's more than one occasion where Paul declares that he must be obedient to God and not to man. He was declaring his allegiance and his obedience was to God. We find this theme all throughout Paul's life, that he had the clear conviction and understanding of obedience to the man Christ Jesus. I'm actually going to read to you guys this passage, and um, it's actually in Acts. And we're going to look at two passages of scripture that actually link the place of obedience with the activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And what we find in Acts, it's chapter 5, verse 32. This is where actually Peter declared, and we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. I'm going to read it to you one more time. And we are his witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. How many of you guys are familiar with the passage? It's a very common passage um, in John. Uh, John 14, 15, like those passages of scripture are usually so familiar with us. But in John 14, verse 15, it declares that if you love me, we all know this one, if you love me, you'll obey me. Or if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Is everybody familiar with that passage of scripture? Well, if you go on to verse 16, it actually gives real clarity. Not only if you love me, you'll obey me. But he goes on to say, and I will pray to the Father, and he will give you the helper, that he may abide with you forever. It's actually in correspondence with, if you love me and you obey me, I will give the Holy Spirit to you. You will have the Holy Spirit. And we have to understand uh, let's be very clear here. It's not a matter of earning the Holy Spirit. It's not about performance. It's none of those things. But you know what it is? It's a matter of yieldedness. Yeah. Yeah. It's to the degree that we desire and yield to the Holy Spirit. He'll come where he's welcome. But at the end of the day, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, convicting our hearts, and we're living in a constant place of wrestling and denying and grieving the Holy Spirit. We have to understand it's not on his part that he's rejecting us. It's on our part that we're rejecting him. We're saying, I don't want your authority. I don't want your governing. I don't want you invading my space. <laughs> That's ultimately what it comes down to. And if we look at the book of Acts, actually what we find all throughout the whole book of Acts, the supernatural power that was upon the church signs, wonders, miracles, we see the handkerchief healing people, we see the shadow healing people, we see 3,000 added in a day, 5,000 added in a day, over and over and over again, what you find is this understanding of them saying, the Holy Spirit spoke, the Holy Spirit said. I mean, they, they're getting direction from the Holy Spirit to go to the city, to perform this, to do this. They were living as people that were possessed by the Holy Spirit. It was no longer, I'm building something, and I will ask for the Holy Spirit's help when I feel like I need it. Or when I'm in a crisis, or when it gets really hard and difficult, and I need Him to bail me out. It was a life that was possessed by the Holy Spirit. And that's what we find in the book of Acts. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. If you look at the book of Acts, yes, it's the birthing of the New Testament church. Yes, it's even the model for what the, the church should be. 
But it, it's a, a continual storyline and testimony of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Of what the Holy Spirit does. Of how the Holy Spirit moves. And oftentimes we sit back and we say, I want more of the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. I'm not seeing the dead raised. I'm not seeing, you know, all of those things. We kind of want the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We want to be able to preach with power and anointing and authority. We, we want all of those things to ebb and flow out of our life. But we find over and over, just even in these two passages of scripture, is that from the place of obedience, that if you love me, you'll obey me. And if you obey me, I will send the helper to you. You know what it's saying? If you obey me, it's saying you're making space for him. You're making room for him. It declares the posture of our life of even whether he's welcome or not. But when we're disobedient, it's actually speaking, it's independence. It's humanism. It's pride. I mean, let's just, fundamentally, let's all go back to the garden now. I mean, if we just want to talk about what is the place of obedience, we see the very, very first act of disobedience in this is the tree of life, this is the knowledge of good and evil. The very clear boundary of live in the tree of life, do not partake of the knowledge of good and evil. And they chose for themselves. It was, number one, an act of disobedience, but it's an act of pride of somehow we know better or somehow, you know, we can live within our own boundaries and not, but it's this place of fundamental obedience. And this is what we find in Paul's life, that this is why this man's life was defined as successful, regardless of what happened, regardless of the fact that he was banished and imprisoned. And this is why he was able to relentlessly preach because it was based upon obedience to Jesus Christ and nothing else. Um, I'm actually going to move on really quickly so that we, I stay on that point way longer than necessary. I'm going to read to you guys a couple of passages of scripture just pertaining to obedience. How many of you guys are familiar with Thomas Dubé? Anybody familiar? Fire Within? I highly Highly, highly recommend this book. I'm actually just going to read this to you. Basically, the chapter that I'm reading, it's, um, it's basically Thomas Dubé, is, he's actually speaking about um, St. Teresa, um, and basically he's talking about those people that desire basically a relationship with Jesus, but he's talking about it in the context of prayer. And basically what he's going through is that the, the key... And basically the ingredient is abandonment to the divine will of God. And, and I mean, we're using the word obedience today, but it's in essence the same thing that he was discussing. It says, the whole aim of any person who is beginning in prayer, and don't forget this because it, because it is important, should be that he work and prepare himself with determination and every effort to bring his will into conformity with God's will. That's so simple. Really so simple. I'm just going to read it one more time. That he bring his will into conformity with God's will. It is the person who lives in more perfect conformity who will receive more from the Lord to, to be more advanced on the road to prayer. Or even, I mean, you could use, you could interchange the word prayer with the word, like union with Christ, any of those things. It says, the king does not give himself but to those who give themselves entirely to him. Conformity to the divine will does not mean merely to be to, that we fulfill commandments, I love this, but also that we generously go beyond what is strictly required. He's saying it's going beyond the actual requirement to a place, and he goes on actually to speak of the place of love, 
that because of the place of love, that it's not just, because we're going to look at a couple of passages of scripture where, and even we just did, if you love me, you will obey my commands. He's even saying, this isn't even about the law of the commands. This is about in love that you go beyond, that it's not necessarily what's even required, but it's passionate desire to please the object of our affection, who is Jesus. Um, I'm going to just read to you guys a couple passages of scripture pertaining to obedience. Since you have purified your souls, this is 1 Peter 1.22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Here we actually see that the purifying of our souls is connected with obeying truth. That we are progressively and more and more purified as we obey truth. Romans 6, 16 through 17. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey? You are that one slave whom you obey, whether to sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that, that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. 2 Thessalonians 3.14 And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him. And that he may be ashamed. Oh my. I don't know how we reconcile that in the New Testament church. Um, and I'm actually just going to give you guys just two passages of scripture that just highlight really the, the sons of disobedience contra- contrasted with children of light. Ephesians 5, 1 through 8. Because this is a longer one if anybody wants to turn there since it's, it is a longer passage of scripture. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you, as it is fitting for the saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom, the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Verse 8, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And then 1 John 1, 5, it speaks of children of the light again. This is the message which you have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I'm actually going to read to you guys. Uh, how many of you guys are familiar with Oswald Chambers? Um, he actually wrote this about this kind of understanding of being children of the light, and I think actually the passage that we just read. But it says, we do not grow into a spiritual relationship step by step. We either have a relationship, or we do not have one. God does not continue to cleanse us more and more from sin, but if we walk in the light, we are cleansed from all sin. It is a matter of obedience. And once we obey, the relationship is instantly perfected. If we turn away from obedience for even one second, second, darkness and death are immediately at work within us again. 
All of God's revealed truths are sealed until they are opened to us through obedience. You will never open them through philosophy or through thinking. But once you obey, a flash of light comes immediately. How many of you guys can even identify with that? Where you can sit kind of wrangling in your mind going, I want to know you, God. I want to know you, God. I want to know you, God. How come I don't know you, God? Why am I, why am I in crazy cycles and that? But the moment of just responding in obedience, yeah. all of truth and light floods your heart and spirit. Everything becomes clear. The weight of the world is now off your shoulders because you responded in obedience. Rather than trying to rationalize and think it through and gain a philosophy on how to attain to God or how to, it's the place of responsiveness and obedience that his truth and light is able to enter. The only way that you can get to know the truth of God is to stop trying to find out and by being born again. If you obey God and the first thing he shows you, then he instantly opens up the next truth to you. You could read volumes and volumes on the work of the Holy Spirit. When five minutes of total un uncompromised obedience would make things as clear as the sunlight to you. You know what this is really speaking about? It's speaking about experiential knowledge. Yeah. Versus trying, it's the difference between reading and studying how to ride a bicycle. And really sitting there kind of going, I don't get it. Like, I can't imagine. Like, how do you keep your, how do you, and all of those things. But once you get on and you experience riding a bicycle, it's the experience that you've gained. You now have the knowledge experientially. It's the same exact thing that he's referencing here. It says you could read all the volumes of the work of the Holy Spirit when five minutes of total uncompromising obedience would make things as clear as the sunlight. Don't say, I suppose I will understand these things someday. You can understand them now. And it is not the study that brings understanding to you, but it is obedience that will bring understanding to you. Even the smallest bit of obedience opens heaven over your life. And the deepest truths of God immediately become yours. I love Oswald Chambers. Um, I'm actually going to stop there with him. Um, and we're actually just going to close out... Um, I want to give us like some practicals, actually, on number one, kind of, basically, when we say being obedient to God, I think most of us fundamentally understand that that means that obedient to whatever is spoken in the Word of God. It means taking the Word of God and saying, whatever is in here, this is my portion, and this is how I want to live. But then there's some of us even that even experientially, there could be, I, I mean, I, I'll just throw something out there. You could even be feeling provoked and inspired by the Holy Spirit to do a Daniel fast. One of those things kind of like, probably should do a Daniel fast, need to do a Daniel fast, I'm feeling it. Let me just say, that is not your flesh. <laughs> you never have to wonder. If you're feeling inclined to, to fast, it is definitely not like your self-righteous, oh, I'd love to fast. No, it is the Holy Spirit prompting you. Like, a desire to fast is not normal, okay? So that's a gift from God. So this is where we understand what obedience is. Is that when we get the inkling of the Holy Spirit, instead of like six months later, still going, oh, no, I'm supposed to fast. Oh, I'm supposed to fast media for 40 days. I mean, like, for what is the deal? Like, instead of just, like, responding and saying, okay, I'm going to jump in wholeheartedly. This is exactly what this is talking about. Is you've been sitting in the prayer room for six months going, how do I get a breakthrough? How come I can't feel God? How come I You know, the whole thing. And all along you're going, oh, yeah, six months ago. I felt like I was supposed to fast. But instead, instead of just responding to the very, 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 very simple act of obedience. 
I mean, so silly. Like some of the things that instead of just responding, just responding, some of you even just for a weekend, just three days, you've even felt like, I think I should just turn like the TV, internet, all social networking, shut it down. And just find some extra time and space for God. And then instead of just responding to that, it's week after week, year after year. <laughs> like you just don't do it. And you're wondering why you're in the same cycle where if you maybe just took those three days, like Oswald Chambers, I love the way he described it, but even in First John, it's word of God, that you'll be sons and children of the light. That in that very moment of responsiveness, heaven opens, light fills you. All of a sudden, things become clear. You have understanding. Isn't it crazy when you start a fast, you immediately kind of go, oh my gosh, my spirit's so alive. <laughs> like, hello? Like, you could have had that six months ago. <laughs> but for some reason, we just don't get desperate enough. Like, it's not like it's... But isn't it amazing? When we respond, is it, you guys all know this. I know you do. As soon as you respond in obedience... As soon as you make that decision, I mean, for some of you, you guys know what it's like. It's like, but there's been a relationship that you're like, I totally know I need to cut that deal off. Like, this is not healthy. This is not good. It's bondage. And you, you dance with it for like a year. Then somehow you end up in compromise. The whole thing. When you finally make the decision, you're like, woo, like open heaven over me. Like, this is amazing. It's not really rocket science. It's from the place of obedience. There's blessing. And you know what it is? It's not because he, like, wants to rule and govern and guide and dictate. You know, for anybody in the room that's a parent, you know that it's out of sheer love that he's literally looking and saying, I know what's best. I, I totally know what's best. Do you care to get my opinion? Do you care to get my input? Well, all along, we're wrestling and fighting, thinking, I know how to do this. I know how to do it. I know how to, I'm going to make my life. I know how to, all of those things. And he's literally just standing back and kind of going, my ways are so much higher. If you would just take a moment, quiet your heart, just listen and respond in simple obedience. Nothing huge. You don't got to go out and sell your car and sell your house and go live on the street because I'm looking for you to... Just respond with either the places of time, the places of just giving him a little more attention when he's asking for it, making space for him, and watch what happens. Just watch what happens. So we're gonna, I'm going to wrap things up, but Matthew 5, that's a really good place for you to start. I don't have time to do that tonight, um, but Matthew 5, it's the Beatitudes, Sermon on the Mount. It's like, it's like Christianity 101. Like if you take it and literally kind of go... This is what I'm supposed to obey. If you're kind of wondering, like, how do I, like, take, like, a spiritual, like, meter of my life? Where I'm at? Where's my walk with God? Is there a disconnect? Take, take Matthew 5, open it up, read it, and then just kind of begin to go over, blessed are the pure in heart. God, is my heart pure before you? Is there anything in my heart that you want to convict or reveal or expose to me? Just begin to use it kind of as our litmus test. But actually, Matthew 5 actually ends with, Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches men to do so shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. This is obedience. He's saying whoever obeys these things, you'll be called great. You don't even have to do anything. Like, you don't even have to do anything extraordinary or plant, you know, 5,000 churches. Just like Matthew 5. Live Sermon on the Mount. 
And he says, you'll be, you'll be counted as great in the kingdom of heaven. But it says that anyone that doesn't obey these will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. So here's some very, I'm going to throw these out to you so that we can wrap up. But very, very fundamental when we're seeking to pursue complete obedience. James 3, 2 speaks to us to bridle, bridle our speech. Get a hold of your tongue. <laughs> it's amazing. That area of our life. How much we, I mean, it might not even, you might not be out there slandering anybody or saying anything negative, but it might just simply be negative speech. Your profession is negative. You know, you wonder why you're depressed. Listen to some of your words. Listen to what you're saying. Uh, James 3.2, 1 Corinthians 9.27, disciplining our physical appetites. Physical appetites is a wide range of things. But we'll just say physical appetites and reining them in so that they're under the governing of the Holy Spirit, that they're yielded to the Spirit of God. Um, our, our money is another place. Uh, Matthew six nineteen through 21. The place of our finances, how we sow our finances. See, that's something in America we kind of like don't really want the Holy Spirit intruding on because it might infringe upon our new winter coat or our new car. <laughs> I mean, those are the things that we kind of want for our boundary and how we live, but the place of really yielding and saying, how would you like me to steward this area of my life? Making a covenant with our eyes. Job 31, verse 1. Refusing to look upon anything that stirs lust. I mean, lust, I understand in a general sense, most of that can be sexual, but it can be lust towards items, towards materialism, towards a bigger, better car, bigger, better house, living in that place of lusting after things that are not yours to have. I mean, that could be any... So those areas, I mean, even if those are places where we begin to pursue obedience before God, bridling our speech, disciplining our physical appetites. Oh, sorry, I forgot to mention managing our time. Uh, Managing our time, our money, and making a covenant with our eyes. I I personally believe, I could be wrong, but it's true of my life, that my time is the greatest reflector of where my heart is. How I'm sowing my time. I mean, that's not even like bad things. I mean, I'm not saying... But, I mean, it could be like I get into a mode where I'm like, I want to go out and buy a new couch, you know. I'm going to go, not that I'm buying one, but out there looking, evaluating, assessing, what would I do, how would I do it, and then I'm going to redo this. <laughs> Anybody that's into my house knows it's always my story when you walk in the door. Uh-huh. Next, I'm going to. <laughs> Which, let's just be real. There's places in our hearts where we have passions and we have giftings yeah. towards things. I, I'm just going to tell you. God likes color. <laughs> He's creative. If you've ever gone to an aquarium, fish are amazing. And he designs them with all crazy colors. So it's cool. Like, I'm not saying we have to be passionless, lifeless, uncreative people. I'm saying we bring it under the governing of the Holy Spirit so that that is not what rules our life. He is what rules our life. And then out of the place of enjoying and fellowshipping with him, we can enjoy those things in addition not in place of. <laughs> That's my theory. Uh, we want to go ahead and wrap things up. Uh, <laughs> we want to go ahead and wrap things up, but um, really that's what I wanted to touch on today was the place of obedience. And the understanding of Paul's life is that he lived as a bondservant to Jesus Christ. And it was that place of total surrender. And I want to encourage us as individuals and as a community, let's make it the ambition of our life to live our lives in reckless abandon and wholehearted obedience to Jesus Christ. 
Not kind of the halfway mark of how much can we get away with? How much can I slide by? Not that place of, but this place of saying, Jesus, I desire everything you are and all that you have for me. So lead me in greater places of obedience. You know, even this place that we look at the book of Acts and we see the gospel going forth with power. I just want to say, I believe anybody that's here today, you are here because you have a seed inside of your spirit that you long for revival. I mean, it's kind of who we draw, who we attract, because it's what we're praying constantly. You have a yearning in your spirit for revival. But I just want to say this to you. As a young generation that longs to see the manifestation of the kingdom of God, the fullness of God in every area of society and culture, every nation, every tribe, and every tongue, do you want to know where it begins? Where revival begins is with individuals saying, I'm going after wholehearted obedience. It's the place, the book of Acts, what it was is the Holy Spirit took possession of them. It's us no longer setting the parameters and the guidelines of how much time and attention, how much finance, how much passion God and the Holy Spirit's going to be given, but saying, Holy Spirit, I want you to possess every aspect of my life. Don't just take over the outward places. The Word of God says He's a consuming fire. Do you know what that means? It means he's relentless. He wants it all. He's not into half-heartedness. I understand that there may be many circles that that would be offensive for me for to say, but I am going to say my experience with the Spirit of God is he does not rest until he consumes every aspect of our life because he's a jealous God and he knows that the only way that you can have true relationship with him, the only way you're going to have true freedom is when you come to greater abandon. See, it's not bondage and it's not legalism. It's freedom and it's liberty. It's the way of the kingdom that is contrary to the way of man. It's contrary to the kingdom of this age and it's how he orchestrates his kingdom. He says all or nothing. Total abandonment. Follow after me. And this is what I want to invite us to today is the pursuit of wholehearted obedience. I understand there's many of us that might say, I definitely am not there, and that is not my story. But I want to invite us today, if you just simply say, I want to go after that. I'm going to tell you, you may fall time and time and time again. You may look back and say, wow, that definitely wasn't wholehearted. I'm going to say this, there is the subtle attraction of mediocrity that every single one of us has to wage war against. It is the attraction of mediocrity. And that is not abnormal. You are not unrighteous. You are not somehow, you know, some elite group of person. If you, Mediocrity is something you find yourself ensnared in. I'm going to say it's something that you have to wage war against. And then as you discipline your life before God, when you're in the presence of God, when you begin to say, okay, I've been in places of mediocrity. It's simply the time to wipe the slate clean and say I'm renewing my vow to wholeheartedness. I'm going after it again. This is what I say. Go after it over and over and over again. Because each time you rise, there's going to be a greater place of submission and abandon. Each time you get up to pursue, there's going to be a greater place of understanding. The Word of God says that a a righteous man falls seven times, but yet he rises. I'm going to say this to you. In my early 30s, I am not necessarily leading a prayer ministry because I did everything perfect from the time I was 16. 
Not perfection, but I can tell you this. Because the jealousy of God pursued me. I just kept yielding. I just kept yielding. I wasn't without fault. I wasn't without guilt. I just kept saying, yes, I'm coming back again. Yes, I run to the cross rather than away from it. Make that the perpetual response of your life. Run to the cross rather than running away. When you are face to face with your failure, when you're face to face that you're half-hearted, you're lukewarm, run to the cross. That we want to offer everything. And until the word of God says, until you come to the fullness of Christ, that is his commitment to you. Until you come to the full stature and maturity of the man Christ Jesus. That he doesn't give up on you. That he's ever after you. That he's patient with you. That he's a jealous God. So if you want to respond specifically to this word of wholehearted obedience, I just encourage you to come forward to the front so we can pray in agreement with you and minister to you today.
Lord, we thank You that You will not relent until You possess all of us, God, not just portions, but until, Lord, our full will, our full heart is Yours. And God, we say yes and amen. Pursue us, O oh God. Pursue us with Your relentless love, God. To We are one with You and You are one with us. Oh God, we ask, Lord, come and be the flame within us. Come be the flame within our hearts, God. Let it burn tonight. Jesus, as we leave this place, we ask, God, that we would burn with a new seal and passion for You, God. We ask, Lord, that we would burn with a new tenacity to go after You, to serve You, to love You, to worship You, O God. Oh, Lord, we ask, God, that You would come and be the centerpiece. Come and be the object of our desire. Grow, God, mature us, perfect us in love, we ask. Lord, that we might burn wholeheartedly for You. That we might be consumed, God, with zeal, passion for You. are in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Thank You for tonight, God. Thank You for these moments of provoking our hearts, God. We thank You for stirring us and, Lord, touching us. Oh, Jesus, we love You. And we love Your commitment towards us, Lord. This week as we leave, God, tonight as we leave and go out throughout our week, Lord, we ask, Lord, that Your presence would be near to us. We ask that these words would not escape our minds, our hearts, our spirit, but, Lord, they would stir within us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, God's good, yeah? Amen. Listen, we love you guys. Don't be as strangers. Come back. Hopefully there's room. <laughs>